We're in the final message in our five-part series, a mini-series in Ephesians. We've been in Ephesians for the really uh, the past several months, and we're um, in a five-part series on the family. Uh, our first three messages were on marriage, and last week and this week we'll be talking about parenting. We want to let you know that this parenting material isn't the only thing we're going to be speaking on about parenting. We're planning on doing a parenting seminar in the fall that'll give you a chance to, to get much deeper than we're able to accomplish in these sermons. So as we turn our focus to today's text, I want to do something. I want to I take us back and try to get us in the mindset of the original hearers of this letter. Now, if you know anything about the way the, the New Testament unfolded, uh, these are letters. They, the, it's a letter to an Ephesian church, a real-life church that the Apostle Paul wrote that was given to that church to be read to them. They didn't have Bibles as we understand Bibles. The, 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 these letters were actually writ, read to the church. So I want to kind of take us there and imagine that you're in the Ephesian church and that you hear that the elders have just received a letter from the Apostle Paul. The sermon this week at First Apostolic New Testament Church of Ephesus will consist entirely of reading this letter, because that's what would have happened. They would have read the letter as their sermon. This letter, this letter that we read that's in our Bible, was addressed to your congregation in your town with your particular needs and problems in mind. And so the whole first half of the letter that is read to you is going to be much like the experience we had, which is just being blown away by the amazing things that Paul writes about who God is and who Jesus Christ is and what it means to know Jesus Christ and what it means to live in Christ. You find that, though, strangely, rather than your mind just sort of exploding or it just kind of not getting in, you find that somehow these great truths are penetrating your heart because the Holy Spirit, even in that moment, is illuminating your mind to receive the Word of God, the literal Word of God. You begin to see how Paul takes, as he works through the letter, these powerful truths that we have in the first three chapters. Remember, there's no chapter headings in this letter. It's one continuous uh, letter. But you begin to see a flow, and Paul begins to apply these amazing gospel truths to where you live. You see, in a whole new way, how God's building His church into a dwelling place of the Spirit and helping each of you to grow, to be more like Jesus and to build each other up as you put off the old ways and put all the new ways of Christ. You can't wait to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Whatever that means, you don't really know, but it sounds cool and you want to do it. And you learn that life together means that you practice the art of mutual submission. Living as if you have a role in the spiritual health of everyone else in your community. 
is all new. It's all glorious. Then the letter turns and gets right down into it, right through your door, into your home, into your living room, into your kitchen, right to where you're living in the family. And Paul begins to talk about the family, and finally you say, okay, wow, something familiar. Family, got it. I, I can do family. And beginning with his words and what we have in, in, in chapter 5, Paul uses a familiar format for instruction. In the Roman culture, and this is a Roman city, there were what were called household codes that outlined how good Roman homes should run. They just showed up in various places. Everybody sort of knew the household codes in Rome. Like this letter, the household codes started with marriage, then went to children, then to anyone else living in the home. That's just the way they were written. Marriage, children, everybody else in the home. And you see that in this letter. We've seen that. Paul starts with marriage, he moves to children, and later we'll see he moves to others in the home. And each category is typically starts with instruction to the people in the subordinate position. So Paul instructing marriages begins with wives before he relates to husbands. When he talks about parenting, he begins with children before he relates to fathers. And talking about, uh, about other people in the home, he relates to servants before he addresses masters. That's just the way it was done. It'd be very familiar to you to see it that way. So after hearing so much about the risen Savior King and life in this new kingdom, the folks hearing this for the first time are finally getting something familiar, something they can wrap their brains around. Or so they think. As we've seen in the past few weeks, while the categories of instruction are familiar, the call is not. What we're going to see today is that Christian parenting is a high calling that requires high confidence in God. Christian parent, parenting is a high calling that requires a high confidence in God. So let's read the text and we'll see where this goes. Beginning in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, we covered some of this last week and we're going to follow up today. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, and this is where we're going to focus our attention today, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that this word would speak to all of us, though it, on face, speaks to a category, fathers, Lord, it has something for all of us to consider. I pray that you'd help me to be faithful to deliver that under the unction of the Spirit, the listening ears who are illuminated by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week, Alex helped us 
unpack Paul's instruction to children. After addressing children, Paul turns his attention to parents, particularly to fathers. Now, this would make sense in Ephesus in the Roman culture because fathers were the undisputed head of a Roman household. But there's nothing Roman about what Paul's about to say. You see, in Roman times, fathers had absolute authority over their children. Fathers planned careers, fathers arranged marriages, and even after someone was married, a father still had authority. He could end the marriage if he wanted. A father could sell his own children into slavery. In fact, a baby wasn't even considered a person till a father claimed it as his own. The father decided that the child didn't meet his expectations for any reason. He could just refuse to claim it. The child would be left to die. Children were the property of the father. That's why he addresses fathers. He's about to rewrite the household code on parenting, and he starts with the big dog first. So here's the radical claim of Scripture. You could kind of boil it down to one essential thing. It's this. Our children don't belong to us. They belong to God. As Psalm 127 says, they are a heritage from the Lord. This central claim applies to any and all parents, no matter what your situation. If you're a traditional nuclear family, your children are a heritage from the Lord. If you're an adoptive parent, your children are a heritage from the Lord. If you're foster parenting, the children in your home are a heritage from the Lord. If you are co-parenting with someone with whom you are not married, your children are a heritage from the Lord. If you're solo parenting, your children are a heritage from the Lord. If you are a grandparent with responsibility for children, those children are a heritage from the Lord. That means that no matter what situation, the children in your life belong not to you, but to God who brought them into existence and into your world because He has a purpose for them and He wants you to be part of it. What we want for our kids isn't the most important thing. What our kids want for themselves isn't the most important thing. What the culture wants for our kids isn't the most important thing. What God Wants for our kids is what matters most. If God has given us children, then he has called us to raise them for his glory. Now we're going to look at two things today. We're going to look at what we as parents are called to do and why we can have confidence to do it. What we're called to do. Let's look at the specific instructions on how we are to parent. When we do that, we're going to see there's one don't and three do's. First, the don't. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, this has been translated elsewhere as don't exasperate your children. We study how this word is used in other places in Scripture. We see it refers to doing things that tempt another person to anger. 
Now, obviously, we can't keep people from being angry with us. If you're driving along the highway, down 95, it's crowded, and you're going the speed of traffic, and someone pulls up behind you, trying to get past you, going faster than the speed of traffic, and you can't move, and they're stuck there, and they're getting angry with you, there's nothing you can do about that. You're not provoking them. But if you're like me, and that guy drives up behind you, and he's trying to get around you, and you just like to ease off a little bit, drop it down about 10 miles an hour, just to see what he does in the back. It may be fun, but that's also provoking. You see, we've provoked him to anger. What Paul's saying here is not that we should try to keep our kids happy with us at all times. Whatever you do, don't make Junior angry. You don't want to see Junior angry. Give him whatever he wants. Just don't let him get angry. Now, grandparents can do that. We've earned the right. Parents can't. Saying that parents, particularly fathers, should not give their children just cause for anger. Now, we're getting in an area where we, we're touching on a situation where people have come from families where they did have just cause for anger. Parents who were abusive, cruel, negligent, hypocritical, fathers who just weren't there. An example this week, I was meeting with the, I was at the, the hardware store this week and I was standing there and another guy came up and uh, he just happened to mention that, that he was uh, making something for his grandkids and how he loved doing things for his grandkids. And then we started talking about grandkids and, and, uh, and he just, you know, sort of said, you know, sort of lamented. He said, you know what, I grew up, but my father never did anything for me. My father, my father just beat me. And I grew up and I didn't know how to relate. And my kids, I didn't do them right. I'm just going to make sure that I do my grandkids. And I thought, first of all, I thought, I love the fact that he is, at this point in his life, he wants to parent. But I was grieved by the fact that not only was he damaged by a lousy father, but that he carried that into his parenting. And he failed in his own eyes. It's what we call the cycle of abuse. It'll carry on from generation to generation. Maybe you're here and you recognize you're in that cycle. Let me, let me just say this. Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. If you know Jesus Christ, 
if He has taken the throne in your life, your parents are no longer there. You are a new creation. You can be different. Everything in the way God works will move you to be different. You can break the cycle. You can be the first generation of the godly in your family. Some of us are here are new Christians. You can break the cycle. Some are here like me, first generation believers. You can break the cycle. You can make a difference. There's power in Christ and through Christ to break free from patterns of your parents' failures and sins. To be radically different. So how might we provoke our children to anger. There's a lot of ways we can do it. One major way we can is to exasperate our children by requiring of them things that we're not doing ourselves. Tell them to do one thing while we do another. Require them to submit to us while we live independent of anybody else's authority and flaunting our independence. Require them to exercise self-control while we say and do whatever we feel like. Require them to acknowledge their wrongs when we never acknowledge when we're wrong to them. Demand that they be truthful when they see us bending the truth to fit our desires. Never, ever downplay the example of your life James Baldwin rightly observed, children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they've never failed to imitate them. We want our kids to imitate the right thing. We don't want to provoke them to anger in the process. Now the do's, bring them up. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. John Calvin translates this as, let them be fondly cherished. The word here is the same word, and this is where Calvin gets that, used, that Paul used in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 29, when he says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, brings it up, just as Christ does to the church. Do you see the parallel here that Paul is driving? Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. Therefore, husbands should nourish and cherish their wives. And as an extension of that, fathers should nourish and cherish their children. The care of husbands to their wives is meant to extend also that same heart, that same approach to their children. We're talking about a heart investment here. We need to get down into their world where they live. I remember when my kids were small, uh, I, I started realizing that their world existed about three feet off the ground. And within that three feet off the ground, there was magic that happened. 
Fairies were real. Dinosaurs would play with sharks. Princesses really did things. If I lived up here and tried to relate to them, I couldn't enter into their world and participate. I needed to get down there and make those realities mine. Teenagers. So often we parent teenagers as if they're like adults. Now they sometimes look like adults, sometimes they smell like adults, sometimes they act like adults. Often they don't. Why? Because they're not adults. They're in transition. If you're going to parent a teen effectively, you need to stop thinking that they're going to get everything you say as if they've benefited from your 30 or 40 or 50 years of experience. This is all new to them. They have no idea whether anybody will ever hire them for any kind of a job. They have no idea whether they're ever going to be able to be successful at anything. They have no idea whether anyone is ever going to love them enough to potentially want to marry them. They have no idea if they're going to survive. They have no idea if this world will even exist for them to, to live in 20 years from now. Do we think like that? Do we get into their world? Do we just stand over them and tell them things? As if they're going to get it first time. I need to bring them up. This is where my dad was so good. My dad, my dad loved us. He cherished us. I am grateful for him. My dad worked hard jobs. He was a truck driver. He was a security guard. He, was, he just worked odd jobs. He, he went looking for golf balls in the lake at golf courses to sell them, to make money. I never knew that we didn't have money because my dad was committed to making sure that I never felt it. Worked long, hard hours, but I knew that if I had a big game, my dad was going to be there. I felt his love. I felt his encouragement. I felt he was always in my corner. Dads in particular. Moms too. Dads in particular. That's our role. Kids know we're in their corner. That's what it means. Bring them up. Second, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is... What my dad wasn't good at. He didn't discipline us. He didn't instruct us. He sort of left that to other people. And so consequently, we ran amok. And got into all kinds of trouble. And did all kinds of stupid things. And have all kinds of regrets for what we did as teenagers. And we're only rescued by the invasive grace of God. Or else, we would have been like our friends in jail, in the grave. These are two related concepts. Discipline and instruction. 
Discipline really is about how we set the table, how we, let, how we provide an environment where our kids can grow and learn and develop. We don't overstructure. We don't understructure. We don't let our kids just go wherever they want to go. We provide a direction. We set, we set agenda. We set a course for them. And we help them to walk in it. We don't just, if you've ever tried to let, tell a two-year-old to clean their room. Okay, you go now, clean your room, and then you can come in and we'll watch television. Tell a grade school kid, here are your priorities for your week. Get all these things done and you can have Saturday for yourself. Lecture a teenager on anything. In all those cases, you're just going to get a blank stare. Their eyes are going to glaze over. They're going to have no clue. That's not discipline. Discipline is the way Paul's talking about here is, here's what I'd like for you to do, and I'm going to walk with you in how to do it until you're able to do it yourself. And if you don't do it, then I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to bring corrective instruction. Find out where you're weak. Is it an issue you don't know how to do it? Is it an issue you don't want to do it? It might be I have to admonish you. It might be I have to, I have to speak to you. I might have to address you and your heart. Or maybe I just need to do a better job of, of instructing you. But the idea is that we, we set a way for our kids to go and we bring necessary instruction to keep them going that way. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about instruction and discipline. Now, we're going to focus more on this in our seminar in the fall, so I'm going to let it sit there for now. We're going to go to the third, which is of the Lord. Train them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the biggie, because a lot's packed into this phrase, of the Lord. It includes telling them about Jesus and his saving love as, as for them as sinners, We're the primary evangelists in our child's lives. We don't cede that to promise kingdom. We don't cede that to schools. We don't cede that to others. We have responsibility to speak and live out the implications of the gospel. It also means we teach the values that honor God in a world where wickedness and folly and deceit are celebrated without shame. It means protecting them from influences that might lead them astray. This is a tall order. A lot more here than what we might think. Parenting, frankly, can be a very scary season of life. A long, scary season of life. Trust me, it's much easier to preach on parenting than it is to parent. A few hundred years ago, one man nailed it on the head. He said, Before I got married, I had six theories on raising children. Now I have six children and no theories. The times change. Technology changes. We change. Our kids change. The problems we face, the problems they face, change. What we start out doing as parents will change over time. As one mom well said, first child eats dirt. Parent calls doctor. Second child eats dirt. Parent cleans out her mouth. Third child eats dirt. Parent wonders if they still need lunch. There's no success formula for parenting. There's no seven points to great parenting. 
The hard reality is that while our effect can be significant, our children will ultimately stand before the Lord for the lives they choose, not the lives we choose for them. And the most significant thing they need, the saving power of Christ, is beyond our ability to give. We can't demand it. We can't force it. We can't make it happen. You can't helicopter your parent, your kids, into the kingdom of God. But where do you get confidence for this daunting task? Now, let's go back and remember the folks who are hearing this letter read aloud for this, in the sermon. They're not just looking at one verse like we are. They're hearing this in the context of everything that Paul is saying in the letter. In fact, the most important things he says about parenting are said before he ever mentions the word fathers to fathers to talk about parenting. Paul wants them to have confidence in what he has told them about who they are in Christ so that they can have confidence in what they're called to do as parents. Where do they get their confidence? Where do we get ours? We find our confidence in these same simple words of the Lord. Because if a kid has parents who are of the Lord, a kid has the whole kingdom of God working in his or her favor. So we're going to spend the rest of our time considering three things briefly. We receive if we are of the Lord, parents. In doing this, we're going to survey what Paul's already told the Ephesians in this letter. So, one of the Lord gives us the authority to parent. According to Paul, there's clearly an authority given by God to fathers to parent. We live in a culture that is Very confused over this. Paul did as well. We mentioned that in Paul's day, parental authority was absolute. It was authority without responsibility. We live in a culture today that's increasingly demanding responsibility of parents, but giving authority to everyone else. We have a culture that tells us we're to blame if our kids go wrong, but we have no authority to help them go right. The culture is more and more asserting itself as an authority in our children's lives, what they learn, how they behave, what they believe about God, about money, about gender and sexuality, about values, morality. But God doesn't give authority for parenting to the culture or to the government or even to the church. Authority for parenting is given to parents. To be used with care and responsibility and humility Given nonetheless. Because why? Because He's the Heavenly Father. And if we know Jesus, He's our Father. And the Father over our homes. There's authority to parent because parenting is part of our call as believers. Of the Lord implies that our authority is derived from the fundamental call as followers of Christ. The call to parent flows out of our call to Christ. At the very beginning of this letter, Paul helps us to see that to be in Christ means that his father is our father. And this makes a difference, folks. So let's look at God's word from Ephesians on parental authority. 
I'm just going to read you through. I just did a little sur survey of Ephesians, and we're going to talk about authority here. Just read straight through. Grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He predestined us for adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ according to the purposes of his will. In him we've obtained a glorious inheritance. Is that family imagery? At one time we were by nature children of wrath, but now we're members of the household of God. For this reason, we bow our knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Do you get that? What, what defines a family is the Father, not the culture, not our orientation. Every family gets its orientation from the Father. For those in Christ, there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Therefore, we can be imitators of God as beloved children. Do you see that? Parenting starts with seeing ourselves as children of God. Brian Chappell says it this way The Father we perceive our God to be shapes the parents we are able to be. Do you see your heavenly father the way Paul is describing your heavenly father? You're wrestling with how do I do this job? Start by looking at how God does his job for you and seek to live out of that when our parenting is of the Lord, we can stand confident that God will stand with us. Our children will learn that as much as we love them, we want them to be happy and successful, fulfilled. Yes, we do. We all want our kids to be happy. We want them to be successful. We want them to be fulfilled. But what we want most for them is to get to know our Heavenly Father and to come to trust Him as we trust Him. So we get authority to parent. Of the Lord gives us also, number two, wisdom to parent. And we talked about discipline and instruction of the, word, of, the, of the Lord. Those are wisdom words. They draw heavily on the Old Testament proverbial mindset. It means that what we're, called, we're, we're seeking to produce in our kids is not what we want or what they want, but what God wants. We want our children to ultimately want what God wants for their lives. Again, we've talked about before. It's impossible for us to make that happen, but our parenting wisdom flows in that direction. We face all kinds of parenting decisions and dilemmas. We need to keep it simple. What does God want? A quick example, in, in talking to people in the last couple of years, parents who particularly have, have teenagers, I've noticed people will come in and talk about their kids being stressed out and about how, how much tension there is in their home and how it's just crazy and they just can't seem to kind of have any kind of family life and life is just too crazy. And I start talking to them about things they're doing and they're in honors program this, they're in travel this, and then they're in this and this and this. And all that's good stuff. And I'm not going to get on the bad side of don't do the good thing. Don't put me there. But I have found it remarkable, you can't even raise the question with some parents, is this really what you should be doing? It doesn't even occur to them 
that all this activity, all this stuff isn't, isn't necessary so that their child can be whatever they want their child to be. The question is, is that why? Not whether it's right or whether it's wrong. Is it why? How do you determine it's why? You're a parent. Where do you get your agenda for your child's life? Is it your preferences? Is it your past? Is it your failures? What what drives that? Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. What we want most is what God wants most. How do we bring that into the world of parenting? Paul's already spoken to that. Where do we get wisdom? Let's look at that back into Ephesians. God's word to parents. Parental wisdom from Ephesians. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom that's come to us and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. We know the mystery of his will. We should be able to know how to do educational choices according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. You have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, praise God for that, that we should walk in them. You have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, all those old ways which belong to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's a great way to understand parenting. Walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That's what we want for our kids and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Look at your family schedule. Is that the best use of your time? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And oh, by the way, be filled with the Spirit. Third thing we get. Of the Lord gives us the power. Parent. parent parenting isn't an empty exercise. It's not an 18 to 25 year investment with no promise of return. There are promises throughout the Scripture that go to faithful parents that don't end up saying it's easy, but they ends up saying there will be fruit that comes from your faithful labors. To be of the Lord means that we're not limited to our background, our economic conditions, our circumstances, our culture, from being effective. If we have Christ, we have grace to succeed as God defies success as parents. Are you worn down by parenting? Your mom... who's fighting the daily grind of toddlers on little sleep and no sense of accomplishment. 
you parents who are confronting learning or physical disabilities in your children that require a level of patience and resilience that you just don't think you have. Are you a dad who, or maybe a mom who feels like you're in constant pitch battle with teens who can't be trusted and who listen to the world and not to you? There's power. There's power for you. Not to fix everything and make it go your way, but to be part of God's mercy project in each of your kids' lives. That's only what we are. We're part of God's mercy project in our children. There's power in that. What is, where does this promise of power come from? I think you need to ask. We're going to go back into Ephesians. We're going to see where it comes from. God's word to us on the power to parent from Ephesians. For through Christ we have access in one spirit to the Father, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. His power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ What's this power like? It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Guess what? The Spirit of God is in you. to Do this work. According to the the riches of his glory, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we think or ask, according to the power at work within us, all that we think or ask, the power in us, <coughs> by God, be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you see that? Throughout all generations. That's not just evangelizing. That's parenting. It is the intention of God that Christian households produce a next generation of Christian missionaries. It's the intention of God that this isn't the last generations of Christians who inhabit the earth. Mario, you're going to evangelize, but you're evangelizing right now. You've got four to five children. You're evangelizing right now because after you're gone, they're still going to be there. We have to see this. We have to see that there's power because God isn't done in this world yet. We're not the end-all, be-all. We're not the final strategy. We're just the next generation. And until he comes back, he'll continue to produce generations that carry his power, parent for his glory. Close. I'm going to pray briefly. 
parents who right now feel like they they lack the power. They lack the wisdom. They lack the will. They, they, they're tempted just to take the hands off the wheel. Hope it works out. We all have that. We all have that. Let's go to God. Heavenly Father, we do call upon you as our Father. We thank you that you are perfect in your fatherhood. We thank you that everything you do. There are things that you do in our lives, Lord, that are confusing to us, that don't seem to be the way we think they should be done, that don't seem to fit what we think would be the best way to go. But you call them wise, and you govern them perfectly, Lord God. And we learn from that. We learn that we are going to have to do things that our children may not see as the best thing for them. That we're going to have to take stands, Lord. Because righteousness is non-negotiable. Lord, pray for parents, Lord, who are there right now, who are needing to know what courageous parenting looks like, Lord. I also pray for parents who are specifically burdened because they feel like they've done all they can. And they feel like failures. And they feel like they've lost the battle, Lord. I, Lord, I was lost. Lord, everybody in this room, whether they grew up in a church-going home or not, was lost. And dead in sin. And unable to respond to you. And rebels to your will. But you came and saved the lost. And so we pray for our children, Lord God. We, sometimes we don't know where they are spiritually. We don't know what's going on in their hearts. Lord, we don't want to leave ourselves to our judgment. We trust you, God. We want our kids to have assurance of salvation more than we have assurance of salvation, Lord. We want to not be consumed with how well we did, but about how well you do with our children. So, Lord, I pray for, for patience. Lord, as I was, I, I was preparing this week, I had this burden on patience, that there would be patience in this room, in the parents regarding their kids, patience for you, Lord God, that they would be, they would be able to look beyond the present and see hope for the future. And to live as if this isn't the end, this isn't the full story. And that they'd be able to respond and relate patiently with their children. Their, pa- their, their children would be saying, my, my folks, they didn't do it all right, but I know that they were patient with me. And you would do that in our hearts. Why? Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that if we sow to the Spirit, we will see. I pray that you would help us to see that. Lord, bless the parenting that's going on in this church. That this next generation might know you and might exceed us in the effect they have in this world for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.